Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Southern Fried Podcast, a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I'm Rex Nelson, and delighted to have one of our great Arkansas assets now that has come to Arkansas in the past year, Dr. Victoria Francesco Soto, who is the dean of the Clinton School of Public Service here in Little Rock. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Rex. Yeah, we're delighted to have you, and I want to get into the Clinton School, all it's doing, but I also want to get in a little bit to your background, so Arkansans who have not had the chance to meet you yet can know a little more, but let, let's start with you were at the LBJ School at the University of Texas in Austin. What interested you about this job? Why, why did you consider the Clinton School a challenge, something that you wanted to, wanted to come do as the next step in your academic career? It was the curriculum, Rex. And, and aside from me being a big nerd, I've always been very frustrated at how universities and traditional academic programs exist almost in a bubble, right? So we're Mm -hmm. in the classroom and we're teaching you about public service and we're teaching you about politics and policy, but you're just in the classroom. And I believe that the best way to learn about policy and public service and quite frankly about anything is outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yes, you need that basis inside of the classroom, but once you get that basis, you need to go out and do. We need to train thinkers and doers and The Clinton School, since its beginning, has had a curriculum that is both outside of the classroom and inside of the classroom, but carefully bridged. Because it's not just about throwing the students into internships and doing random things. It's about curating this field service experience, which to me excited me because as a lifelong academic, that had always been my frustration about that town-gown mm-hmm. divide. Mm-hmm. Good point. And I grew up in a college town. I understand town-gown divides completely. Now, the Clinton School, this is a master's of public service. Tell me how that is different than other masters in that area, whether it's public affairs, governmental affairs, what have you. What sets that apart, being in public service? Well, it's also the first mm-hmm. master's in public That's service. Right. in the country. In the yep. country. When, when the school was founded, there have right. been others that have been added on. So 18 years ago, 17 years ago, and this was very much President Clinton's vision. President Clinton, when he was thinking about his presidential institution, said, you know what? I don't want our students to just go into one track. I don't want them to just go into government, just go into the private sector, just go into nonprofit. I want them to have a flexible toolkit where they can be public service leaders in any of those sectors, in the private sector, government, international and domestic. So I think that is what sets us apart is that our curriculum is more diverse, Mm -hmm. that you are learning this toolkit in terms of communication, leadership, data analysis that enables you to bring leadership and public service to any realm. You're in corporate social responsibility or, you know, we have a number of alumni in government at various levels. And in addition to that, Rex, what really sets us apart and what I love so much about the Clinton School is that our domestic and our international tracks intersect. Mm -hmm. Most graduate schools in the country that do public service, public affairs, public policy, they have a domestic track 
and they have an international right. track. Right. We have one where all of our students have to spend a summer abroad doing an international public service project because you know what? Problems know no boundaries, issues know no boundaries, and we prepare students for the international realm, the global realm, as well as the domestic. Good point. Good point. Now, to you for a minute, and then we'll get back to the Clinton School. You were raised in Arizona. Now, you already described yourself as a nerd, but tell me a little bit about how you got interested in political science, how, how that became a field for you. Right. So I, uh, I grew up in a small town in rural south eastern Arizona, Sierra Vista, and I was a kid that early on was drawn to organizations, to organizational life. I, I am an extrovert mm-hmm. and a nerd, so you combine those two, uh-huh. and you see me gravitating toward student council, toward the Kiwanis clubs, towards Key Club, towards service organizations, hands across the border, working with... I, I was a Key Club president in high school, oh. I'll have you know. <laughs> See, Rex, I, knew, I knew there was a deep connection here. <laughs> so I, I had always sought out these these ways to to be involved and engage with my community. And then, you know, as I, I go through school and I realize that political science, public policy is a field, I was like, wow, I can actually do this for a living. You know, I was doing it on the side on my personal time. So it was, I, I gravitated toward it naturally in the organizational realm that took me to it as a formal discipline and I feel like I've come full circle because at the Clinton School we do do so much on the ground in terms of working with communities and organizational work but we also maintain that academic rigor because mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day you do need that homework that uh, that classroom time to then set you apart from others. Mm-hmm. So you go to the University of Arizona for your bachelor's degree. Was it there that you decided to go on and continue to the Ph.D. and to uh, have a career in academia? I did. And it was because of a professor, right? So many stories are about mm-hmm. mentorship. A- absolutely. And, and I was so blessed and so fortunate to have a political science professor that saw in me this, this desire to do. And and granted, I didn't really understand the world of academia. You know, my parents weren't in this world. So he was the one who helped me figure out what I needed to do to apply to graduate school, what that world looked like. And I have been very fortunate to have people in my life at different stages mentor me. And that's something that I think is very important in higher education is finding those mentors. You have your professors that you take classes with, but you also have professors that help you understand what your path in life is gonna be. And I think that that for me is another very critical role of what I do at the Clinton School. So you go into academia, I mentioned that you came to Little Rock from the LBJ School, but you were in Northwestern Rutgers. Talk a little bit about your career to this point and your areas of specialty, if you will. Right. So uh, 
technically I am an Americanist. My background in, in political science is in American politics, political psychology, you know, campaigns and elections. I, I, I love the horse race that is, you know, election time. And I'm going to make you get into that oh, <laughs> later in the show oh, with the midterms coming up, but go ahead. Uh, and, and so really understanding the behavioral aspects of politics. Why do people behave as they do, their vote choice, decisions to turn out or not turn out. And then within American politics, my specialty is within race and ethnic politics, looking at Latinos in particular, the fastest growing demographic here in the United States, immigration as well. So kind of that, in addition to social psychology, have always driven me in my academic research. So from an academic standpoint, and you touched on this a little bit at the first, but Talk about where you would like to see the Clinton School now that you are here go and what you see maybe five years down the line, even 10 years down the line for the school. Well, we have a tremendous base at the Clinton Mm -hmm. School, which is, you know, as we are approaching slowly but surely our, our 20th anniversary. Boy, that's hard hard to believe. I can remember all of those opening events like they were yesterday. Yeah, but we're going to have... Bob Dole coming and giving a lecture. I remember all of that very well. Oh, we're going to have another blowout party. Oh, okay. Good, good. Just, you know, stay tuned. You know, I think that the Clinton School has a fantastic statewide and regional reputation. I want to magnify that. I want... I don't want to be a hidden gem. Mm -hmm. I want... I want to be a bright and shiny gem because we do such fantastic work here and really quite unique work, you know, in terms of this space of public affairs, public service, public policy. In terms of where I see the Clinton School, another thing that has always set us apart is that we are high touch, high impact. The classes have always been small, averaging around 35 students per year or a two-year program. I want the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. I want to maintain that boutique feel, not to be pretentious, but boutique in oh, no, terms I of understand. high touch, right. where our professors are working closely with the students. But I, I want to have a greater footprint because we do such great things here. So my target, Rex, is within the next two years to get up to 75 students incoming. That's still small in terms of graduate Where programs. are you right now? Right now, we're at about that average. Okay. So, and it doesn't happen overnight. We're mm-hmm. looking to increase to 50 and then 60 and then 75. Gotcha. And I think that is a sweet spot where we still cultivate our brand, but we're touching a whole lot more people and we're getting people from out of state yet focusing on Arkansans mm-hmm. and this region. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What would you describe as when you got here? What were the existing strengths of the Clinton School? The faculty and staff, okay. and the students too, yeah, and the alumni. Yeah. But you know, and and you, you never know. You're the newbie. You're coming in, and are 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 they going to like you? Are they going to support right, you? Right. And I have been so lucky, so so lucky in having a team that, you know, folks who work at the Clinton School, they've drank the Kool Aid. They believe in public service. They believe in the mission of the school. So that for me has been the greatest asset coming in and also an eagerness to do. You know, they are ready to take the Clinton School to the next level. So it's not me coming in and imposing. I think there was an eagerness to do that. So as you move forward in the years ahead and 
people know more about the Clinton School, you're already in my mind an, an existing jewel, and I'm drawing kind of a bigger picture here because it's on my mind. I recently did a perspective section cover story for our newspaper on what they're calling East Village, mm-hmm. but uh, you know. If Lyon College, and I hope they do, is successful, you're going to have a dental school next door. You're going to have a veterinary school next door. The Arkansas Symphony Orchestra is building a facility next door. I mean, you're going to be an existing anchor in what I think could be the the new hot neighborhood in the whole state, if you will. And I couldn't agree more. I love the idea of having a a almost neighborhood campus community mm-hmm. where you know our students are fluid and they can go from one campus to another to coffee shops my hope is also that there will be more in terms of retail that can cater to students yeah, yeah. and i think we will probably see that especially as the veterinarian dental schools get up yeah, and running I, I also mean, i i want to see those spaces but i also want to be intentional in making a space myself. For example, in the spring, we held our first ever Unity Fest between the the library and the foundation and the school, just on our grounds. We have such great grounds. And what I would like to see in my fantasy world is we have a Unity Fest, a community neighborhood fest with those other academic entities. Because yes, people can mingle, they see each other at the coffee shops, at the restaurants, but I do think that we need to be intentional in saying, okay, once a year, twice a year, once a month, we're going to have these meetup points because community is built. You're in an exciting area right now, in my mind. I see a see a lot of future there, and the Clinton School certainly plays a role of that. Uh, let me uh, turn the tables a little bit now, and uh, let's let's talk politics. Uh, I'm a former political editor of this newspaper. Uh, as you tape this, you look up to the Clinton Wins page. My byline's on that front page from November the 3rd of 1992, one of the most famous dates in uh, Arkansas history. But um, again, going back, you talk about an early interest in politics. You decided to go the uh, political science route. But as you said, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that, you were kind of drawn, I guess, early to the campaigns, the horse races. I know I certainly was. It, it is. It's you know, being a, a big college sports fan, I, I almost feel that same adrenaline rush, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm watching one of my teams. And I've always, I, I've never been in politics, right? So I've, I've never served in a campaign or an administration. I, I like in my role, my other hat that I wear to sportscaster, right? I, yeah. I come into it as, as an unbiased observer. Obviously, do I have my leanings? Yes. But I've always drawn on my political science background to provide analysis because it's important to be able to connect kind of the, the the science that goes into polling, into advertising, and really be a bridge to a larger audience. So I think that has always been my passion to translate, to translate what we're seeing in our political realm to larger audiences. Mm-hmm. So let's let's look at the political landscape right now. First of all, I, w- I want to mention that you do work for NBC News, MSNBC, Telemundo. Talk talk a little bit about how you got into that. Very randomly, Rex. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, I got a phone call uh, back in 2007 when I was at Northwestern from a booking producer at CNN in Espanol because, mm-hmm. as I as I said earlier, I do American politics. Right. But I grew up speaking Spanish. That's right. And there aren't very many of us who do that. So 
I'm like, what was I thinking? I said, yes. I, I, guess I said yes to most things. Yeah, right? yeah, that's my problem. And I'm like, I've never been on, on live TV. But I said, yeah, sure, I'll do this. Uh-huh. And that is how it started. I realized how much I loved it because at the end of the day, the TV studio, this podcast studio is a classroom yeah. where people who are listening in are going to be able to learn something. Mm-hmm. And you know, on being on TV and, and talking about politics and understanding polls and trends, it's like I have a really big classroom. And at the end of the day, my first love is the classroom. Yeah, you, I can relate so much. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, being like sports, the horse race aspect of politics. I went from assistant sports editor of the Arkansas Democrat to their Washington bureau chief in 1986. So that makes perfect I, I went sense from to me. sports to yeah. politics, and I told people there are tremendous similarities. There are clearly defined losers and winners. There's big money involved. There's big egos involved. Uh, the emotion. Mm-hmm, the emotion involved. So I, I certainly can relate to that. And I love this time of year in an election year because I will go from calling a college football game on the radio on a Saturday to being in a television studio the, on the Tuesday of, of, you know, election night. So I, I get to do a little both this time of year, which is a lot of fun. But midterm elections, let's, uh, I'm, I'm going to get the expert here to uh, break it down um, as we tape this. We have some very close Senate races in Pennsylvania and Georgia where control of the U.S. Senate may be riding on there. Um, as we're doing this about a month out, uh, talk about where you see the Senate going, the House going, and, and what races that depends on right now. Oh, there's a lot of crystal balling going on here. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, so the economy, right? Mm-hmm. I think we need to start there in understanding that the the latest NBC News Telemundo poll that came out over the weekend shows that people are still worried about their jobs right. and inflation. So I right. think that that has to contextualize pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of key electoral demographics that will be more mobilized to vote than otherwise, I think that's where you have your issues such as reproductive rights come in, where you also have issues such as immigration come in. And taking a step back, midterm elections traditionally, traditionally are low turnout elections compared to presidential elections. And even more specifically, Republicans have done a better job turning out in midterm elections than Democrats. So that's why Mm -hmm. if you were just looking at this, you would say Republicans have the edge. Also, we know, again, historically, the party of the president who had just gotten elected previously doesn't do as well. Right. But kind of all bets are off Mm -hmm. because we're in such extraordinary times. So I I think that we're going to see a little bit of irregularity in terms of the president's party, Democrats, not doing as bad as you would expect in the midterm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were a betting woman, you know, I don't know if they're necessarily going to keep the House, but I think it's going to be tempered by the fact that you have the reproductive rights mobilization among key segments in the electorate, namely independents, moderate Republican women, you know, young women who are going to turn out. I'll stop there because yeah. I can keep going, but I think that the 2022 election midterm is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. We'll be back with more of the Southern Fried Podcast, but first, this break. 
Hi, Rex Nelson here. Thanks for listening so far. A lot of the topics we cover here on the Southern Fried Podcast and many more can be found on the pages of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. If you'd like to support this great newspaper's commitment to bringing you the latest in Arkansas news, sports, and entertainment, consider subscribing to the Democrat Gazette today. With your subscription, you'll get a digital edition of the newspaper every morning, along with the latest news and updates delivered to you on an iPad, provided at no extra cost. For just $34 a month, you'll get the same award-winning journalism you've come to expect from the Democrat Gazette, including my three weekly columns, plus exclusive photo galleries, videos, articles, and digital extras all in the palm of your hand. To sign up today, call 1-800-482-1121 or visit us online at arkansasonline.com forward slash subscribe. Welcome back to the Southern Fried Podcast, a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I I know that you have not been here in Arkansas long enough to consider yourself an expert on Arkansas politics, but having come from Texas, I want to try something out on you. Uh, You know, we saw, and the speed with which it happened here, you know, the swing from a strongly Democratic state to a Republican state, Arkansas was really about the last in the South to make that swing. And, uh, you know, traditionally, a, a large mountain area is a real populous feel if you look at the history. So we were late in making that swing, but it happened fast, basically over three cycles, the 2010, the 2012, and the 2014. Now, if I see looking forward any swing to uh, swing to purple, if you will, I, I see it because, and a lot of people don't realize this, this state is becoming rapidly urbanized. We're still a rural state, but the last census, even though we gained population as a state, only 22 of the 75 counties gained population. 53 lost population, and that shows you the urbanization. Northwest Arkansas, obviously one of the fastest growing areas of the country. So you get that urbanization, you get that influx of new people, Go back to one of your specialties. If we get our Latino voters registered and voting in Arkansas, I can see that coming back maybe a little bit from strong red to a little purplish. And I'm going to go back to your Texas experience. Certainly, Texas a much larger, much more urban state now. But we have we have seen that happen, start to happen there at least. Well, in in terms of learning about Arkansas politics. I look to you. You know, I look, th- th- there's, a, there's a great cadre here of folks that I am learning, mm-hmm. slowly but surely learning. But one thing that has stood out to me, regardless of, of, of partisanship, is how direct the engagement is. Mm-hmm. And with the, the elected officials really directly engaging with constituents, with people. So I think that, for me, has... That comes from being a state of only 3 million people. Right. You, you expect to be on a first-name basis with your governor, yes. whereas you wouldn't expect that in a Texas or a California or a New exactly. York. Exactly. And, and I love that feel, mm-hmm. right? It, that is direct democracy. So the, the, the demographic piece about the Latino population, and it really is, it's still small, but it's rapidly growing here in the state. 
I would say the same thing that I have said about Texas and other regions is, yes, traditionally Latinos do lean a little bit more democratic, but you can't always assume it. And that was where I was going next. Uh, and there's been quite a bit nationally written about this. But just so our listeners will know, you and I have talked, and you know my, my in-laws are Latino from South Texas. So I, I'm really interested in this trend where we saw along the border, and you grew up near the border, we saw this swing back to more Republican in the last election. Talk a little bit about that. And is that a long-term trend? Yes. And again, giving homework, because this is something I do, I would encourage your listeners to look at this latest NBC News Telemundo mm-hmm. poll. It, it it focuses on the Latino electorate, and it does a beautiful job of highlighting these trends. But let me give you one example. So for example, in urban areas, we see Latinos preferring Democratic candidates by you know 30 plus percentage points. Mm-hmm. You get to suburban areas, that's in the 20s. You get to rural areas, it's in the single digits. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily race and ethnicity. It's also region. It's where you're living and the culture within that. The other piece that doesn't apply as much to Arkansas, but does to, to Texas and to Arizona, the border states and New Mexico, is that you can't assume that someone who lives on the border is going to be for more expansionary immigration policies. Right. In fact, sometimes you see the opposite. So I think that's mm-hmm. one place that outside observers get tripped up. So the Latino community, and I'll, I'll end with this, is a very diverse community. They come from all regions of Latin America, they have different ideological ways of seeing things, uh, different generations, different religions, different races. So be very careful in terms of thinking about a Latino vote. There are many Latino votes. Yeah. And you talk about making mistakes. I mean, I have seen that through the years here in Arkansas. You know, I was political editor of this paper during Bill Clinton's first campaign. We saw reporters literally from all over the world parachute in here and doing stories not about just the Clintons, but about Arkansas. And they got so much wrong. And that that was a good lesson to me as a reporter don't assume, and I know you're learning that, for instance, uh, one of the major mistakes they would make is they would try to lump us in with the deep south states, for instance, and uh, you look next door at Mississippi, they have an African-American population of over 40 percent. Ours is only between 15 and 16 percent, so we're we're nothing like that. So you, so you have to be very careful. I always tell people, they say, what is Arkansas? I say, well, we're mostly southern, but we're a tad midwestern and we're a tad southwestern. I think as you're learning, we're really this place in between, a very unique place in between. And, and- very diverse. And, and as we were talking before the podcast, uh, I've started to travel around. I started to go up to mm-hmm. Northwest Arkansas and and I see this diversity, but I also see a vibrancy, right? But here in Little Rock in, in the central Arkansas region in the Northwest, in the Delta where our students do a, a lot of work, it, there's so much diversity. And, and going back to what is so exciting about the Clinton School, the Clinton School is a laboratory for impact. When mm-hmm. we're recruiting students, because they all have to do a, a one-year practicum here in the state. And I wanted to talk about that before we finish. I mean, you you do some, your students do some work that has real impact on communities around Arkansas, around right? Around Arkansas, and they've been doing it for close to two decades. 
all around the state. So this is a, a point of pride for me, but I also think that it's a richness that we we bring to students. This is your real life laboratory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're actually going into the community and doing that work. So they so they do that local project and they do an international project. And then right, and then they do a capstone. So yeah. there's three pieces to three. that. Okay. And and to just give you a, a sense of the diversity of projects. So right now we have one practicum team working with the Asian American Business Association based out of Northwest Arkansas mm-hmm. to do a landscape analysis. Then we've got work in the Delta looking at how to support teachers and education. So this is this beautiful range of impact that we have throughout the state that's rooted in the Clinton School. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I see that uh, becoming even a better laboratory as, again, with the growth in Northwest, other areas of the state, with uh, more Latinos moving in, certainly into Southwest Arkansas. I mean, I can take you to places like Danville, for instance, or DeQueen, where the public school districts are majority Hispanic now uh, in those communities. So with that, Arkansas uh, is not only becoming a larger state because we are still growing in each 10-year population, but it's becoming a much more diverse state. And I think this is for the better, but I can tell you it is a very different place than the state I grew up in 50 years ago when I was a child. Very different. Right. And, and, and this is not unique to Arkansas, right? We're mm-hmm. seeing this across the United States. And you know, I think it's figuring out how we best incorporate this diversity because change can be difficult in populations. It, it can. That's why we need community to intentionally have these spaces for us to get to know each other and figure out how we can work together and support each other. Yeah. You've got a family. Before I before I close out, I'll close out on a personal note. Your husband, your kids, are they, are they enjoying the Arkansas experience so far? Very much. Uh, they are now officially Razorbacks. I, I, I do <laughs> I do want to report that. All right, good, good. And the community has been so welcoming to us, and that has made the transition easy. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. I knew this 30 minutes would go fast. We'll have you back at some point. Thank you. All right. Dr. Victoria DeFrancesco Soto, she is the dean of the Clinton School of Public Service in Little Rock. Thank you for joining us for the Southern Fried Podcast. I'm Rex Nelson. We'll see you next time.